Well, good morning. There's a couple people awake, I think. Um, one of the ways that we know that it's a different time of year, a different season, is because the songs change, right? 105.3, 106.9. I mean, they've been at it for a couple of weeks already now, but uh, different songs start to fill our imagination. Um, and in here, on Sunday mornings, uh, we're gonna, we start to sing these Advent songs that are, they're, they're, they're different. They're, they're, uh, they speak to some, some different themes than maybe we encounter during, during the rest of the year. And uh, these songs, they, they both express things that are inside of us, but they also start to shape our imagination, right? They, they shape who we are, and they shape our vision of the world, our vision of God, our vision of ourselves. And um, Advent songs, uh, some of which we have sung today, uh, they, they brood a little more, right? Um, and, and they express and shape one of... I think a part of our faith that for me has been a, a growing part, or at least my understanding of it has been growing, and that is our longing, right? That, that Advent is a season of longing, where our, our longing that, that sort of sits underneath the surface can finally be expressed. Um, and I think that, that Mary's song uh, that she sings here expresses some of this longing for God to make things right. Um, I, I, I'm grateful for that for this season. Helps me to know what to do with the longings that I do have. Helps shape those longings so that there are more and more longings for things that, that Christ wants to do in me and wants to do in the world. So the way that Advent works uh, is this. It points us backwards in history to Christ's first coming, to his entrance into the world, to God taking on flesh in the form of a baby points me backwards to that historical reality, but also points me forward. It increases my longing for his second coming. It, it, it points me forward with a confident hope that Christ will come again to make all things new. And it helps me live here and now with gratitude for what Christ has done and with an expectant hope and a joy for what Christ will do. That's the gift of this season. And I hope as we walk through these next four weeks together that we can all enter in to this season fully. So over Advent, we're going to be looking at the first two chapters of Luke. Um, we, so we just finished the book of Acts. We spent this fall walking through the book of Acts, which Luke wrote. Um, and so we're kind of doing this a little out of order, where we did Acts, and now we're jumping back to the first book, the Gospel of Luke, the account of, of Jesus' life and ministry. Um, and Luke gives us probably the, the fullest account of Jesus' birth, of the, of the beginning of the story. And it's not because Luke was there. He, he wasn't an eyewitness to, the, to these things, but he's writing these accounts, these letters to this guy named Theophilus. And he, he tells him that he wants, he's investigated these matters. And he wants Theophilus to have confidence in the things that he believes. And so he has fully investigated all of these rumors uh, about Jesus. He's investigated them, and he's talked to eyewitnesses, and he's compiled this account. Uh, and what's fascinating about Luke is that he, um, he doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. He backs it up even prior to that. Right? He thinks that there's something that we need to know in order to fully understand who Jesus is and what he was about, uh, that, that we need to back it up even to understanding who Jesus' earthly parents were. And, and this cousin, John the Baptist, and his parents 
And then there's some other uh, characters that might surprise you that <laughs> make their way into these first two chapters of Luke. Luke, the first two chapters, uh, it's kind of a musical, actually. Uh, there's activity, and then the activity is interrupted by song. <laughs> and so then something happens, and then people stop and they sing about it, <laughs> which I, I think would be pretty fun if life was more like that in general. <laughs> but in Luke, it is like that. Um, there's action, and then there's a song. And so we're going to look at the four songs that happen in Luke 1 and 2 over these next few weeks. And just to give you uh, kind of a lay of the land of where we're going, each of these songs, I think, helps prepare us to understand who Jesus is and what he's about. Uh, so each of these songs highlights some different aspect of what God is up to uh, by coming and entering into human history, taking on flesh, becoming like one of us. So this morning we've got Mary's song, which I like to think of as a song for the lowly who are not forgotten. It's a song of uprising. It's a song of a complete reversal of the way that we think things work an upside-down world that we find in this song. Later on in chapter 1, uh, Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's father, uh, he sings a song, and he was struck dumb, literally speechless, by an angel because he, he kind of back-talked to the angel when the angel said he was going to have a kid, and he was like, I'm pretty old, so that's probably not going to happen. And the angel said, well, you're not going to be able to speak until this happens, and it happened. <laughs> And then the first thing that he does is he sings a song. And it's this song of salvation. It's this song of freedom from sin, salvation from enemies. Then in Luke 2, one of the more famous songs is sung by a choir of angels. But it's a choir of angels that hasn't gathered at the, uh, the Colosseum in Rome or at some other massive event where you might think a choir of angels would show up. Instead, it's a song that's sung to the shepherds. Some smelly shepherds in the middle of the night on a field with their sheep. They're the audience to probably what's, what was the most glorious song ever heard in all of history. If only we could have been there. It's a song of God's glory and of humanity's peace. Reconciliation between God and humanity. Between humanity amongst themselves. And then finally there's Simeon's song. Simeon who gets to meet baby Jesus at the temple. And this is a song of fulfilled promise and a song of hope for all the nations, kind of giving us a hint to where the story is going in Acts, that God did not just come to earth for the Jews, but he came for the world, for the whole world. And Simeon's song reflects some of that, some of the global nature of the good news of Christ coming to us. It's an odd collection of people. It's not who you would choose uh, if you're starting out the most important story in the history of the world. These are not the people that you choose to, to set the stage for this person. These are randoms. <laughs> but I think actually in Mary's song, we see that that's exactly what God wants us to see. That's exactly what God wants to do in, in the kind of character that he has is that he enters in uh, to this world, not in expected ways, not through ways, uh, powerful ways in the way that we understand power, but through powerful ways in a completely unexpected, upside-down way. God remembers the forgotten. He makes them into a loving family. He saves them from sin and death, displaying his glory through them, reconciling them to each other, 
and ultimately fulfilling his promise to make all things new, renewing the whole earth. That's the story that we're entering into. So you heard Mary's song. Thank you, Julie, for reading. Uh, here's the kind of how we got there. Um, you probably are familiar with the story, right? Uh, an angel appears to Mary, this young virgin, probably in her teenage years. She's engaged to be married to Joseph, but they're not married yet. And the angel says, first of all, what every angel says, which is, don't be afraid. Uh, and then goes on to say that, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And Mary, in this incredible statement of faith, says, let it be to me as you have said. Uh, Her relative, Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist, is also miraculously with child in her old age. This is uh, Zacchaeus, Zachariah's wife. Um, And they meet up. And uh, John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus and uh, a little further along in the gestational period in the womb, and he flips when Mary enters the room. Allie, have you felt that yet? <laughs> I, got, I just got a look. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's coming. Um, <laughs> got distracted there. Do, do dates in like a week? Come on. It's so good. Um, and Elizabeth, When she feels this, she blesses Mary. She says, blessed are you. She uses this word in the Greek, which is makarios, blessed. And then Mary, in her song, reflects on herself and says, I am blessed. God has blessed me. And this word uh, has these connotations of being in favorable circumstances, that like things are going well. You're blessed, right? We, We usually sometimes will say half-jokingly, half-seriously, oh, like, hashtag blessed, right? When things are going well, it's this, uh, and, and we mean this, like, oh, things are, yeah, things are going well. Favorable circumstances. Um, the irony, of course, though, is that Mary's circumstances are not, as we might judge them from the outside, all that favorable. Here she is, a, an unwed, expectant teenage virgin, <laughs> and uh, facing a uh, an unknown future. I mean, we know a little bit about her and Joseph in that they were uh, not particularly well off. They had to find some random stable in the back of the inn. Um, You know, her circumstances, as we might judge them from a worldly perspective, were not particularly favorable. And yet, she can agree with Elizabeth that, yes, no, I am blessed. My circumstances are favorable, Because in the kingdom of God, things are upside down, right? Uh, This is is one of the other things that as Mary sings her song, we start to see is it's the the lowly, the humble who are lifted up. It's those who are high, who are proud, who are wealthy and in powerful positions, they're brought low. It's a complete reversal of earthly circumstances, This is uh, the song that she's singing. This is the the God that she sees in her... I mean, to to have this song, this song of of really, it's kind of an uprising, right? It's It's a revolutionary song to come out of this humble teenager's mouth. The contrast there tells us something about what it means to be blessed and how we think of blessing and maybe challenges some of that. 
a little later on, I'm actually going to read here, uh, somewhat early in Jesus' ministry, he talks about what it is to be blessed. Uh, we know this as the Beatitudes, and in Matthew's Gospel, that's, that's usually where we go when we want to read the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke records the Beatitudes as well, um, but his are, his are a little bit different, and he adds this other section right after the Beatitudes. So I just want to read this, and I want you to think about this notion of blessing, of having circumstances that are favorable to you. Mary says that about herself. Elizabeth says that about Mary. And then Jesus, a few years into, or early on in his ministry, he gathers his disciples together and he says this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Then Jesus goes on to teach about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, where he says, don't hate your enemies, but rather love them. When someone does something evil to you, you, you don't do something evil back. You turn the other cheek. You, you bless instead of curse. And I, it's, you know, maybe a bit of a reach, but I like to think that there was something about Mary singing her song that Jesus somehow, he heard that, right? He took that in. And Mary's song is even this, it's a drawing together of some different Psalms and this, this uh, song that we heard earlier from Second Samuel that was read to us by the kids. Um, this song of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And there is comfort there, but there is also a warning. And the comfort is this, that, that God sees us. He really, truly sees us. And though many of us may feel in some way or another forgotten or, or overlooked or unseen. God sees you. He notices you and he looks on you favorably. That is true. And I think all of us at some point in our lives need to be reminded of that truth, that God sees us. Uh, th there was that movie um, Avatar, Right? And like the most powerful thing that those, the alien folks, that they could say to each other, the most powerful thing that they could say was, I see you. Uh, and I think that that's also true for each one of us, to know, to really be seen and known. And God sees us, and he knows us. That's the comfort in Mary's song, is that we are not forgotten. But there's a warning in there, too. Jesus uh, articulates this a little more profoundly in the Beatitudes with the blessings and the woes. But by and large, most of us here on the worldwide scale of wealth are doing well. Uh, and so to only hear the blessing is not to hear the full story there. 
And, and it's not to say that uh, those of us who, who, who are, are wealthy, who, who have means, have resources, that we are cursed. That's not the opposite here. It's to say, um, if that is where we find our circumstantial blessing, then we've missed it. Uh, if, if when we talk about the ways in which we are blessed, the only thing that comes to mind is our physical circumstances, is the, the wealth, the, the, the food, then, then we've missed it. Also, don't hear this. Those are not inconsequential things. Those are gifts, and, and we ought to be grateful for those things. But if that's the sum total of how we understand what it is to be blessed, then, then we have missed the kingdom of God. And we have missed what God is up to in our midst. So I think the invitation in Mary's song to join her in singing this song is, is a perspective shift about what it means to be blessed. And then what to do with those things that we've been blessed with. Uh, and can we join God in seeing those who might otherwise be forgotten? I think this is one of the beautiful things about the Aurora Commons. Um, and actually, in all the agencies that we're going to have tags for on our tree, is it's an opportunity to partner with what God is up to in the world, seeing people who otherwise would be forgotten, who otherwise would be looked over, really seeing them the way that God does, and joining him in this upside-down work of announcing this blessing that's not dependent on physical circumstances, but is dependent on God's faithfulness, that he just loves us, so much so that he came to dwell with us. And this takes, I think, some, uh, some active resistance of our culture, right? This is a, I think if there's ever a season that's described by hustle and bustle, <laughs> that's the season that we're in now. Uh, and, and if we're not careful, I think we just give ourselves over to that because that's the, the message, that's the in cultural influence is to just hustle and bustle and all that comes with that, which is mostly anxiety. That's what comes from hustle and bustle. <laughs> But if there's ways that we can actively resist that, uh, to join God in seeing, having his eyes to see the world the way that he does. I think the, uh, the different uh, groups that we'll have tags for, I think all of them offer a way to that. Um, I also think that there are also people in our lives, um, maybe even that we live with, <laughs> Uh, where there's opportunities to, to slow down and to really see one another. And maybe most importantly, to slow down and, and see and pay attention to God and what God is up to in this world by meditating on Scripture, taking time away, praying, being quiet. It is, uh, it is quite the contrast, the way that uh, the themes of Advent and, and the themes of our culture at this time of year are, are pretty diametrically opposed. Um, Advent, the word itself, means coming or arrival. And as I was saying earlier, you know, it's this invitation to, to look back historically at the, uh, well, historically and also gratefully 
uh, at the event of Christ's first coming, but also to look forward to his second coming. Um, it, it, we, we're invited to see a God who has come and who is coming to us. That's the invitation this time of year, and it takes, um, it takes some intentionality to do that. It's an invitation, too, to look honestly at the world and honestly at ourselves. And I think uh, the passage from Romans 8 about all creation groaning, longing for the redemption that's coming into the world, that speaks to me about my own heart, my own longings, and also the condition of our world that needs so desperately the truth and the grace and the joy that we get a foretaste of in Christ's first coming, uh, but a foretaste that points us ultimately to the fulfillment of these longings, the fulfillment of these promises. So the good news is that in Advent we remember and anticipate God's coming to us that God has come to us, and that God is coming to us in every moment. God is the initiator of this divine relationship, and that's the good news this morning. When the Apostle Paul, uh, when he's teaching the church in Corinth how they're to celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, he, he reminds them of what Jesus said and did in the upper room as he prepared to face the cross. Uh, And then he adds this interesting little phrase, and we say it every week when we come to celebrate, that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And I think every week in this table, in this feast, we are invited to both look back and to look forward. This This is part of what it means to live in faith, is that we constantly are having our attention pulled both back in gratitude to what Christ has done for us, what he accomplished for us on the cross, forgiving us of sins, um, a pure conscience, all of these things that he gives to us, eternal life that starts then. But it also points us to the future, uh, to be a people that live now in hope. Uh, And so there's a way in which uh, the the life of the Christian is to live in this tension, right? Looking back and looking forward. And I think that those meet together beautifully in the celebration here of the bread and the cup, remembering and looking forward. So I want to read, I'm going to close just by reading Mary's song again. I invite you to to close your eyes if you'd like to. You can read along in your Bibles or on your phones if you want. But as we enter into this Advent season, um, ask God, speak to God. I'll leave some silence after this and use it as a time to pray, to speak to God about how it is that you can join him in seeing, how it is that he sees you. Express gratitude to him for that, that you have not been forgotten. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. <clears throat> 